To all of our listeners, we want to preface that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of us and our guests as individuals. The claims and statements do not reflect the opinions or views of the Florida State University Department of Art History or FSU as a whole. Testing one two three. Testing one two three. Go ahead, love. Testing one two three. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Did, Did you, you Enjoy Your, your Visit, visit podcast. podcast? And I'm Olivia, and I'm Francesca. And today we have another one of our friends with here today. You ready? Yeah. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, this person. Um, uh, is in the same uh, art history program as us, but is a year up ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And we're so excited to talk to her today. Everybody, please welcome Liv. Hello. Thank y'all so much for inviting me. Yes. Of thank you. We're happy to have you. Thank <laughs> right. you for being here. Yes. Thank you for coming. So for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of background of like, um, how'd you ke- come into this field? Give us um, some context about like your undergrad work. What you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so I took my first art history class when I was an undergrad. It was just like a fine art requirement and yeah. I really, really liked it. Was it like a survey class? Yeah, it was yeah. like a survey uh-huh. class. Um, and I really liked it and I decided to double major in that and at and with another major at the time and then I transferred and solely did art history Mm -hmm. um and also then double majored in in art history and anthropology um graduated with my bachelor's in those two Mm -hmm. not like a double degree but like yeah um then I came to graduate school Mm -hmm. um and I'm focusing on the visual cultures of the Americas with uh emphasis on like pre-Incan and like Aztec art Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And I've also been working in museums since I was 20. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. almost 25, so almost five years. Wow. So. Wow. I have, you got a lot of experience. Yeah, a lot of experience. Yeah, even, like, it's so amazing. It's not, like, and people need to understand, it's like, when you're going into, like, museum works, the emphasis of, like, having experience before you come into there is like it's it helps a lot it helps so much so also much. gives you a really good idea of yeah what the, what yeah. the heck you're getting yourself what de- into yeah. what department did you mostly work for um i have worked in almost every department mm-hmm. of i've also worked in galleries which i mean they're like museums but you know they're kind of different yeah i mean i've done um education i've done membership i've Mm -hmm. done more like pr media stuff Mm -hmm. um never done anything curatorial unfortunately yeah um but yeah so i've Mm -hmm. i've done a lot yeah do you hope to do something curatorial in the future are you like leaning away from that um i think doing something curatorial would be really amazing um i'm not gonna get my phd though and to be like same yeah yeah same same here we've talked we've we've (laughs) we've that's we, like comes up as like a question on this podcast, and we're like, a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't leaning know if away. I'm gonna get yeah. yeah our PhD. Well, except we have it. I know there's like some other people in our cohort that probably are, and some people yeah. in our program too. Yeah, 
so but i'm just, it's just not yeah i'm tired yeah. i'm so tired and we're both so tired and yeah, at a lot hard. of yeah. museums you need a phd to curate yeah i right. think they're mm-hmm. starting to move away from that they are but they are, that's a whole nother right. episode really right yeah. right because the um some of the like i was even looking at the high museum in atlanta like the curate curators there none of them have phd so it's like and I can't. I I was thinking that you need to have PAC, but yeah, I thought so yeah. too. But but that's a whole like you said, a whole other episode in itself. Um, so today's topic, what we wanted to talk to you about was um, stolen cultural property and or like, like yeah, like yeah. museum collections mm-hmm. and like the the ethics surrounding museum collections and the provenance that uh, the or lack thereof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Within um, museum collections, so. Have you ever encountered any sort of material that lacks provenance? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I worked... I, I don't know if I should drop names. Um, I worked at a museum in Texas that had mm-hmm. a pretty lengthy... Um, not lengthy. Large, I guess is a better word. Collection of African and Mesoamerican objects. Mm. And I don't know the exact provenance behind all of those. I know some um, other things from that museum were a little questionable that came from the Middle East. So Uh I have worked in places. Mm -hmm. Um, I I currently work for a museum now that there are some questionable things about where they came from. I know that they are grave goods that were dug up and they're on display. They are copies, but um, Mm -hmm. that in itself is very questionable. Was that, were the copies, are the copies like, did... Was the museum forced to make copies, or were the, were copies made in there some in the collection still? Um, I don't know if they were forced to make copies. Right. I know that they like the copies look a little torn up, so I think probably mm-hmm. the real artifact is probably too fragile to put on right right on display they're also copper yeah um so i don't know if it could be like a precious metal situation i mean i i, I don't know the exact yeah. reason of why it was a copy but uh-huh yeah well for our listeners can you explain i mean it's kind of in the like phrase of it like what makes an object stolen cultural provenance you know like for somebody who has like no idea what we're talking about can you give like examples or give like a case yeah um i think there's a lot of ways for objects to be stolen Mm -hmm. um i think one of you know one that like like automatically comes to mind is like uh in peru and like mexico people will go up and and dig up things uh-huh. and steal them from like sites and then sell them. So that's like the first thing well, that comes to mind. Same thing happens. Same thing happens also in a lot of other places. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course you know I think of like colonization yeah. and them just like taking shit. I mean obviously the um, marbles from Greece. I mean that's a really good example. That's a big. That's a big um, one. Yeah. yeah. Come and, up a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, Do you know the story behind, like, for our listeners to give us the story behind that? Because most people probably won't know what. Yes, we actually about. talked about it. Talked about it at length in my law and art class. Um, so this guy, mm-hmm. um, Elgin, Lord Elgin, went to Greece under, um, but Greece wasn't under like the laws of Greece at the time. It was under a different. Empire. I oh. don't I don't remember. I want to say the Ottoman Empire, but I yeah, feel like I think that's the wrong. Ottoman um and he said he had the like legal papers to take the marbles out 
of Greece. Mm-hmm. And then he takes him to England under the guise of, like, wanting to fill up his house with mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And um, now people are saying he probably didn't really have the correct paperwork because it was really hard to get, like, a signature from, yeah. like, the leader. Um, yeah. And, but now they've been in England for so long and England refuses to give them back and argues that they're doing more work in England than they are in Greece. Um, but when he did bring them over to England, I don't even know when, what year exactly, people were not happy that they were there. Because um, yeah. he was taking, like, tax dollars away from people. Um, and he wasn't, a, he wa- also, like, wasn't well-liked, like, within his own, like, class of, like, lords and, like, the nobility and stuff like that. So it was already an issue when he brought it up. So that's uh-huh. just a little bit about that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more long winded. Well, the, I think the I think the I mean the British Museum has count. That's like the, that again. Like that's like the most famous one. Yeah, right? they have mm-hmm. so many. They have so many cases where that's where that's where that dynamic is present. And mm-hmm. like I know from from a couple of classes that I've taken, like the Benin bronzes have also yeah. come up a lot, and they've restituted like they've repatriated like a a selection of them, but mm-hmm. like failed to fail to give a lot of them back and you know I mean and it comes from such like a long history like I guess the way that the Benin bronzes were acquired like were from such a like traumatic instance of violence and it's even still when Benin is asking for these you know bronzes back they still won't they still won't give them back and that's like and that's that's such that's like that rings true for a lot of different cases. Yeah, within, it does. Yeah, within the British Museum. Yeah. Um. Also, France owns a lot of Aztec stuff that Mexico has asked back for, and they refuse to give this stuff back. Wow. So there was this one instance of this man from Mexico going to um a library in France, like the Bibliotheca Nationale, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and he stole something, and then that has prevented other Mexican researchers from accessing those collections because France wow. is afraid that someone is going to steal something again. Like, there's this modern yeah. artist named in, uh, uh, Enrique Chagoya who does a lot of work on, like, pre-Columbian Aztec things, and he tried to get into the collection, and they said no because a previous person from Mexico yeah. stole something. So, mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Well, can you give us another example of, like, how uh, cultural uh, objects get stolen? Because you explained that one. The um, people going into excavation site and just taking them and selling them. Or, yeah, yeah. them being acquired from colonialism. Like, from colonialism. Colonial, like, yeah, colonization and colonial... Like, colonial mm-hmm. authorities going in and taking things without, mm-hmm. yeah. you know... Um, I mean, it's even still happening, like, today. Um, For example, the Tallahassee Museum, um, they have three different structures on their site that were not originally on their site. They have a plantation home, they Mm. have a school boarding house, and then they have, I think they have, like, a third one? No, actually, I just think it's those two. And they were both taken off of their, like, original site to be placed here to, like, fit this specific narrative that the museum is trying to push so Mm -hmm. that's another one wow so i think it's interesting like that dynamic like within like a lot of times things can be 
acquired by museums or to to broaden like representation to like their audiences you know what I mean within Mm -hmm. like a local community yeah Mm -hmm. but I think it's really interesting especially in the case of like Tallahassee that has like you know it's the capital of Florida yeah um and has like a, a higher I guess like a more powerful influence in terms of like government authority how those types huh. of spaces are <laughs> <laughs> those types that like the those are the things that are that are there's there's this very there's a different fitting a narrative looks very very differently and has a different influence in yeah. the circumstance so in Tallahassee there is a memorial to a um black neighborhood slash community that was in what was called Smoky Hollow, which if you're familiar mm. with modern day Tallahassee, it's like Cascades Park area. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because there are a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, it was called Smoky Hollow because like they were in a hollow and like the smoke from like houses and stuff would make it smoky. And obviously oh, like there's a lot of fog here as well. Because it is like, when you, it is like kind of up on the hill. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And of course, you know, as all the white people are coming into Tallahassee or, yeah. I mean, they were already here, but, um, you know, um, as like um, they're modernizing the city, they tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, this place that had been, you know, a home and a community center to so many black people that lived in Tallahassee. Um, and to make up for it, a few years ago, they built something called like the Smoky Hollow Memorial or something, which is like mm-hmm. maybe like six houses that are supposed to represent like the row houses that used to be in that area. What? Um, but it was like. A million dollars like it was over a million dollars it was a lot of money yeah. to build this thing yeah and it's very um is it around cascade park it like, is like because i walk on that trail sometimes so are yeah. you talking about like it's like those like like framed houses and it's like is it by the edison like back there it um it's by the edison i'm trying to like no actually it's not by the edison it's like under it's like under the road. You know how there's like yes. a little flyover. A, yes. yes, it's that right there. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. but like that's really weird. Like, that why is would so you? Weird. So you you you're you're funneling all this money into reconstructing these houses that are not going to do anybody any good instead exactly. of funneling all this money into black owned businesses. Exactly. Or, Exactly. In the local community, like what? Okay. Also, people have talked about you know there is a very large. Uh, houselessness was that the correct term group people like a group of people experiencing homelessness yes yeah and Mm -hmm. um people are like you know they could have built actual like homes for them or at least you know put a roof over it but it's not and it's purpose shelter yeah and it's purposely (laughs) built to just be like this thing and mm-hmm. it has no use. I mean, it's, it's obviously there as, like, a marker and a reminder, but um, we talked about that in one of my classes last year, and um, it's, like, a big, like, deal. Wow. Like, people were that's, really upset that's, about that's, it. I, I, yeah. I mean, that is upsetting. It's, like, do the... And what about these... Like, are these even houses? Do they yeah. do they serve any purpose? Are they... Are, like, is it just, like, an is exterior... Is it even accurate? Stru- yeah, is it... Is, yeah, is it even accurate to what houses would have looked like yeah. like don't uh, like in like Smoky don't Hollow. just recreate a house that you saw off like a movie you know what i mean like, yeah i think they also have like a barber shop or something that's like built to scale and everything but that's it really okay 
Wait, built to scale, so it's not like a functioning barbershop. It's like a replica. It's like a replica, and I don't even know if you can go in it. I don't know. I don't know everything about this. No, um, no, that's I. I yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think there's like a barbershop there or something like that as well. So there's barbershops around here. What do we need another one? But yeah, it's you, like why don't you funnel that but, money into the barbershops that are actually but it's not functioning. It, it's not functioning. Yeah, it's, it's not just, yeah, right. It's just like there. Wow. So that's something. That's. <laughs> That's really not. That's bad. That is. It's important to listen to what the people need. Yes. Yeah. So, um, with uh, so we also talked about um, like repatriation Mm -hmm. on this uh, podcast as well. So, can you speak on like what when you have these objects that are taken out of their context, like? And repatriation and what that looks like and, you know. Yeah, um, repatriation um, is a very gray area, I think. There's a lot of layers to repatriation. Yes. Obviously, there's instances, like I talked about earlier, where, you know, countries, like the government, is asking for stuff back. Like Mexico has asked for specific things back. Mm -hmm. Um, And France is refusing to give that. Obviously, again, you have Greece who's asking for things back. England is refusing to give those things back. But at the same time, there are also a lot of objects that are owned or were created by specific cultures that either no longer exist Mm. or they are like a minority within their cult, like, like, yeah, within their community. Yeah, Uh yeah, within their community. So it's like, if you're going to give it back, who are you giving it back to? Are you giving Mm -hmm. it back to the government of that? Mm How is the government going to deal with that? Or are you giving it back to, like, that group of people? How would you facilitate that? So that's, mm-hmm. like, a whole thing as well. Um, and then I know another issue that some people have, I don't have, is that some, especially indigenous groups, are asking for things back in order to destroy them because they see some things as, like, living beings. Yeah. Oh. And in order to complete its life cycle, it has to be destroyed. And yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so it's a part um, of like a religious. Yeah, it's a part of a practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some museums and other cultural institutions don't want to give these items back to these people because they know they are going to be destroyed, and they're like, "No, like you're going to destroy this pot or whatever. Like you can't do that." Even though the culture that created it is like, "Well, yes, we should. Like this is like like this is its life. Like it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Wow. Yeah." That's, yeah. And then I think they also worry, like, well, how are we supposed to educate people about this item? But then half the time, that thing is mislabeled. Yeah. That item is mislabeled. So it's like, you're not even talking about it in the right way. So. Yeah. And I also think back to, like, okay, for instance, like, the the Harvard, the situation with Harvard and their museum. And they have Mm -hmm. a bunch of different, like, photographs of of people. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. um, of people that were previously enslaved. And their descendants. Don't they use them in the museum? They yeah, use, like they, they use, use those a, photographs in a museum and profit off of those photographs. Right. They and, like yeah. And it's like, on the cover right now. If yeah. You look it up. And yeah. like the descendants like c- consistently like provide proof and have lawyers yeah. that will back them up. And the the museums still have like the the authority and the power to say no. Like this was mm-hmm. taken by. Um, a member, uh, a previous like professor at Harvard, so we can keep we can keep this. So I think it's like I think it's it's a difficult, it's a it's 
it's messed up and it's also difficult to navigate though because it's like on this broader scale yeah. we have governments and then yeah. we also have like these like really specific and individualized circumstances within our own within our community in the Americas yeah. like do you think that we will ever like come to a place where we can create like circumstance oriented laws like that no you don't think Dang. so <laughs> I not definitely not while I'm alive. Um, if I live a normal like to eighty five or one hundred or whatever, that's a really long time. I I just don't see that happening. I think that so many people, well, real, realistically, people are just gonna have to die out, and new yeah. people are gonna have to replace yeah. them. And I'm thinking about that sometimes. I, <laughs> I that's in the back yeah, of my mind. Yeah, it really. Too. I'm yeah. like, like with these, all this stuff going, I'm like, some people they just gotta be like, you know, yeah, new. And I think especially in terms of repatriation with major institutions and I know that things are starting to be given back and I don't think there has been any bad like PR surrounding that for the museum but and I you know it's one of their concerns too there I mean like museums across the world that if they start giving stuff back they're gonna have to give everything back and then we have a total upheaval of what a museum is right Mm -hmm. and um just have a beautiful storage facility as somebody described in our class oh that's good yeah she was like museums are just like beautiful storage facilities if you think about it Yeah, yeah I mean it kind of I mean in a way in in a way I think it it's different when it when you're it depends on the museum. Like, yeah. And that's another thing, too. And that's why mm-hmm. muse- the idea of museums gets even more deconstructed yeah. and complicated in these circumstances. Yeah. Like, right. if it's contemporary if it's contemporary works, like, you can give a really powerful platform for people to, like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Do you have, have you heard of anything, like, because it seems like it's a lot of things that are stolen. Have you ever heard of an instance where something was given with, like, permission or anything like that? Or... What do you think that would look like in the future to have, like, a permission system? Like, we'll loan you this for X amount of months, or we can even help hold, like, a seminar to talk about this object, but you're not holding it in the facility or something like that. So, I'm, okay, I'm 90% sure about this story. I was told about it in undergrad. Like, we watched, like, a video and everything. Uh, but take it with a tiny grain of salt. I'm pretty sure it was Harvard. They gave something back to an indigenous group in America. Mm-hmm. And then the group said, okay, can you continue to keep this one object, even though it has been repatriated back to the group, mm-hmm. for safekeeping because we do not have the facility to keep it? Oh, um, so right. I'm, I think, yes, you are right about that, Kai. I heard yeah. about that, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there also needs to be instances of you know, these communities being able to build places that they can house artifacts that mm-hmm. are owned by them. Um, like which, the Yipik community. Yes. Yeah, you yep. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. The Yipik community. I, I, I was thinking about them because they um, they had excavators come. I think they were from, they were from like a They were from Europe. Yeah. Weren't they Europe? From yeah, like, it, yeah, it was like, like Scotland or something Yeah, like and I, also I like, and they came, York, like they came to, yeah. they came to Alaska. That's where the Yippet community is. Or, yeah, parts of their community. Are. Yeah, parts of their communities like in the Alaska, Canada, but they were mostly in Alaska. And, you know, they had, they built their own facility. They are also really 
honed in on the fact that they want their own people to learn about archives and collection and collection management so that they could be the ones to take care of these objects later yeah. on. Yeah, but line. it's like the institutions also have to be on board with yeah, that. And like exactly. that. Yeah, like yes, that. that's what it also takes because it has happened where uh, a university or some programs like yeah we'll excavate for you and then they just take it and don't give it back yeah that's happened a lot or exploit or exploit the community that they're working with yeah yeah they'll be like well if you want it you gotta come all the way to smithsonian i you guys came to us though yeah, <laughs> yeah like these are stolen things from you like, these got, are yeah. stolen things from our community our culture yeah. like our our history yeah yeah i i i, th- I think that that's a I think you're a realist in that way in your response. <laughs> I appreciate it too. I appreciate it, but we can do we can do our best, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's I, not always like rose-colored glasses. With yeah, life. that's what. I mean. And I think the field of museums are changing. Like you look at a museum, and right now, most of the like not senior management, but you mm-hmm. know maybe like second, like one step down managers, are maybe more. I'm just going to say it. They're more liberal. They're more yeah. of, like, the new art history side. Yep. Like, that's how they were taught. Um, and they're starting to uh, try to usher in things that need to be changed. And it's just, like I said, people are just going to need to die. People are going to need to leave, retire, um, and then they'll yeah. get, you know. But it is changing, but it's at, like, very Snail low space. levels. Yeah. Also, like, board of directors are such a pain in the ass. And you have yeah. to deal with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they can bring in their own personal just opinion yeah. and change yeah. the entire way that the so, museum operates, mm-hmm. and that because they carry the money. Yeah, yeah. and that again yeah. is its own episode. But like, <laughs> they they really carry so much sway when it comes to everything. So yeah. yeah, it's and people. I don't think people understand like museums are really like corporations too. Yeah. as far as like the levels you got to go through in order oh, for yeah. things to change. Yeah, and there's people at the table higher. Oh, it reminds me of John Wayne. Who also, John who Wayne. also dictate? <laughs> <laughs> who? But those people also dictate who's hired. Yeah, and who's a part of their staff yeah. too. And that's also like a whole other episode. Like yeah. it's a whole other thing. Like, yeah. but I think I think that the I guess I I don't know. I don't ha- I don't have an answer when it comes to mm-hmm. you know what how things will change in the future in terms of like. Do you want to pursue a career, like, in uh, correcting, uh, like, cultural provenance, like, um, I repatriation? Definitely, I definitely would want to do museum work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, I read this quote somewhere that was, like, museums are one of, like, the foremost examples of, like, cultural and history that, like, Americans have. Like, yes. that's... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that was in a reading we had for class or something like that. I don't yeah. know where I read that. And I was like, that's so true. And um, so I still want to continue to work in a museum. I think that a lot of people can learn in a museum setting. And I want to be able to present things in a way that is engaging and insightful. Mm-hmm. And people can walk away if they learn one thing about something. Yeah. That's great. And then maybe that little seed takes root and it starts to change their mind about maybe bigger topics. And that, mm-hmm. like, that's something. Yeah. But not that kids. Is something. <laughs> but not kids. No, that's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. And I yeah. think it's also like, 
another another thing that can play a big part in that is correcting the information, like correcting the information. Correcting the information. That, that's yes. important too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cor- and just even like terminology. Absolutely. Yes. It's such a big changer in the way that people think about past people, past mm-hmm. organizations. Or past- think about existing communities yes. too that, yes. you know, museums relay as yeah. like not. So you're kind of hitting on conscious editing, which is like a way of decolonizing the archive where you're basically combing through all of these descriptions of Mm -hmm. um, different historical moments or um, pieces of the archive that are notoriously discriminatory towards like respective communities and changing the linguistics to be accessible to everybody. Yeah. And be like appropriate and yeah also just even even by changing the terminology it can make it way more it can it can make it way easier for people to find them in a website database yes Uh yes yes Yes. Mm -hmm. especially for researchers that want to research that topic um changing the terminology makes it more inclusive to other you know other community of researchers that maybe not understand you know, because like, because I feel our like, history is taught so differently when you're talking yeah. about like state to state. And so, the, but then also, I feel like those are ways like making having the very cryptic ways of describing things or very specific. Yeah. Like, it can it's like an, it's inhibiting knowledge and like yeah. gatekeeping knowledge. It's, gatekeeping it's like so another, much. Yeah, yeah. It's another way of instituting power and limiting access on yeah. so many different levels. Yeah, I was actually just at a museum a week ago and they used the word hybridity in a wall label oh my and, god and what is that seriously yes what does that mean? it's like, like uh it's a post-colonial it's a very complicated post-colonial like term yeah and it my, my, my mom was with me at this museum and she's like very like thorough like she reads every single wall label mm-hmm. she wants to know everything about everything and she was like what does this mean and i was like why would they use that yeah in a wall label and you know my mom knows probably more about art history than the average person just because i'm her daughter yeah right but she's just like what the hell and i was like that's such a dumb what was that's... what was the thing that they were described like so, so like hybridity it's 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 a it was a term that in the context that i've learned about it it's from Ho- from homie baba's text um it was it's from his t- it was it was one of it was a chapter by homie baba on and he basically broke down colonialism and hybridity is defined as like um when different when colonial colonial powers and authorities try and institute and influence and homogenize different cultures and in opposition to that like a respective culture mixes in their own practices that mm-hmm. create a new cult that create kind of like quote unquote a new like series of cultural practices that mix in colon- colonial um characteristics and their own characteristics of their personal culture but it's complicated yeah you <laughs> Yeah, I Jeez. think I think um, no, but it, and I did a horrible. T- I did not. I, do the I think best that, job of that is not what that I was thinking when you said a hybrid. Like, like hybrid, like in the most like 
on on the most like you know a fundamental like plane it's like yeah two things coming two, together coming together yeah but to it, make like a new thing kind of but in like a cologne like but in a, so, okay so two things are coming together to create a new thing but one culture gets lost lost in the mixing of the two well that that's the thing like no yes and no like hi like hybridity can mean in in the most fundamental way, it can mean two things coming together. So, like, two cultures, like, you know... I, I, I've been Googling. I have an example. <laughs> it says, for example, Louisiana Creole, which is a combination of Africa... Yeah. Sorry, African, French, and English languages. So, that yeah. would be, like, an example. Okay. Yeah, so... That makes but, sense. Yes, but in a lot of different... Like, it could mean something completely yeah. different in yeah. a different context. Yeah. Like, so, um, like... The, in, the, in the context that the in the text that I was referring to like he was talking about the a re, from a religious standpoint so like um, missionaries coming into a community in Delhi and mm-hmm. trying to institute you know Christianity and then you know people in response they like take on those like ideals ideals but yeah. also like incorporate their own cultural characteristics yeah. within their community yeah. and create something quote unquote new yeah which is like hybridity yeah so it can be like so it can be so different it means so many different things which is why it shouldn't be in a museum label yeah. because it's a very complicated term yeah like, you know I was what like, I mean? well and I'm not gonna name this this institution but um, it's where I went to undergrad, and a lot of people in the area agree with me that this museum, anytime I do, like, a major exhibition, it's, um, it always misses the mark a little bit. So it's just <laughs> part of who they are. Yeah. Man. And, I mean, that's pretty on point with most, like, institutions, yeah. especially related, like, within, in, in, like, a university context, too. Like, I think it can get, I think, um institutions that are like umbrellaed by a university or like uh i don't know or in a in a like a museum institution that has a whole bunch of like web of different facilities that they have it can get it can make things it can make it way easier to misconstrue things yeah. and misrepresent people yeah yeah that that was a really deep definition of hybrid i was not expecting that not even gonna. I'm lie. sorry. I'm no, so I'm sorry. Like, hey, but this it was great though. I, I have an great. article that, that, that I can both like send you off. I want to read more about hybridity. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that has it in it. It's like I actually don't think they use the word hybridity, uh-huh. but it's pretty much hybridity. Uh huh. Yeah, so. like I don't know. I yeah. So I, yeah, I wrote I wrote like a huge yeah. It's was this about was this in your capstone? Yeah, it was. It was a big part of my capstone. Yeah, okay. But, I, but it was in a completely different context. I'm not. Yeah. T- I'm trying to. I was trying to relate. Yeah, because you least, were talking about like in from religion, from so, a religious yeah. standpoint. But also, religion religion influences a lot of like material production. Yeah, you it know does. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. within within a respective place. So. I have so much to say about that too. So, <laughs> but, you guys should do an episode about. <laughs> Anyway, you guys have like similar, yeah. You guys kind of study. Similar There's a lot of parallels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this last question we have for you is like, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to break out into this art, history, museum studies, field, anthropology, or the slash anthropology oh. slash religion slash, slash everything slash everything in the heritage field? <laughs> what would you say to someone coming into the heritage field? Um. 
like to I you need to learn not okay let me rephrase you need to like to read and write that's a really big part it, yeah absolutely of this. Yeah. absolutely yeah. um and I think you know be a decent human being I think but if you come into the the field you you usually are um well th- these days <laughs> <laughs> Like have like, an open mind maybe. have an open mind maybe not like t- 10 15 years ago so not so much um, yeah. but these days and um i was actually just thinking about this earlier today just in terms of graduate school you just need to be really good at bullshitting wow yeah yeah and just especially because like i do work with the public and mm-hmm. you really have to think on your feet like when you're asked a question and you're like, okay. And if, even if it's not in the tour script that you've been given or any of the training that you've been given, you have to be able to, like, not give them a wrong answer, but use your education to make an educated guess or be like, I'm going to get back to you about that and go back upstairs research it, and research it and then come back down and tell them or whatever. Um, B- yeah, BSing is a big, B- yeah. BSing is a big Public thing. engagement, is that, is that it's like a big what thing. Has, is that what, like, you've been taught, like, as, like, your span of internship experience like as a tour guide like it's a lot of like on your feet type i think thinking. more graduate school yeah, like because you just school. have to read and i don't know if y'all are asking more of like on the academic side or like the practical side it can be it, either, either or. or i think on the ac- uh, on the academic side definitely bsing is going to like get you through school <laughs> um on the more practical side um i think researching at a different level than when you were in school like I find myself like picking up books that I would like I'm like I don't want to read this but it's so pertinent to like the information like I'm giving people like it means yeah. something yeah. it means it yeah. means it yeah. has like meaning behind mm-hmm. it and yeah. you know that yeah and I think also one thing that um I have found more important when um now that I'm you know really um interacting with the public is that there isn't a lot of digestible, easy-to-understand information out there that yes. people can just go pick up if they want to learn more about something that's not going to use the word hybridity. Or yes. like, that's exactly what I was saying. I was yes. like, literally like, you throwing why, around the word that's hybridity. That's why throughout this whole, like, every episode, I'm like, even with even though like we may know what you're talking mm-hmm. about, that's why I'm like, can you break it down yeah. for list? Because there's yeah. somebody listening that does not understand about three-fourths of what we're saying. So that's why I'm like, I know we all know what we're talking about, but, like, let's just break it down because yeah. that's ultimately what we're trying to do anyway yeah. because we're trying to educate people that not that don't have the same opportunities as us. Yeah, yeah. And make them understand that this is important to them and affects yeah. them in their e- everyday life. Um, I also think another thing in terms of, like, more practical use because... Um, some departments don't have great practical applications while you're in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get into a, like you, you also need to like look for yourself and like be like, okay, this is what I, this is where I want my career to go. This is where I want yes. my life to go, and fight for that. And mm-hmm. like, because not everyone's always going to help you out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of like school. Mm-hmm. And then once you get there, is to be like I know. Um, one of y'all mentioned to be very open-minded and listen to what people have to say yes Yes. and um because you never know what they're gonna say and um then you can learn a lot about their perspective if someone else comes in that has the same perspective as they do you might have like some more background on how to handle that situation 
Um, and then, you know, you might learn something new and then you can add that to your, you know, in your little back pocket and like bring it out and mm-hmm. use that as, as an example or something. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was honestly yeah. beautiful advice beautiful. we really appreciate you coming on and oh God, ha- um, thank with you. us did you have fun i did yay. i've always wanted to be on a podcast yay yes. yay yay there is okay i would like to add one more thing mm-hmm. on hybridity that i did forget <laughs> <laughs> but wait there's one more thing so this episode is going to be called hybridity what is it no right <laughs> honestly no i'm I'm really glad that you i'm really glad that you brought it up because it's something it's i think it's it's a really it's it's astonishing to hear it and actually in like an actual museum label but it's like a huge concept that underlies i think our field in a lot of different ways especially in a post-colonial context um but within post-colonial theory a huge part of hybridity is that it allows for when when different when when communities adopt and change ideologies excuse me ideologies that are important to within a colonial context it it allows for people in power to deem cultural characteristics as inferior on yes. the basis of difference yes and that is something that i did i it's a huge part of like how honestly our field operates and like mm-hmm. um that underlies a lot of the way that colonialism works so yeah also i mean most of the stuff we're being taught was written by white people is taught by white people yeah our institutions are predominantly white so it's like mm-hmm. we're still in this like framework and as much as we're trying to um recontextualize that framework and break down that framework it's still like i said everyone takes a lot of work I was like like i yeah. said yeah people yeah. need to die we need to you know anyway <laughs> that always anyways me. i did that, i'm, I'm sorry to re- i'm sorry to open no, another no, can no, of worms okay. actually you know what next episode you just see a co-op here and like do your whole capstone. no do your whole capstone like your undergrad capstone oh god a re a reading by francesca kern it would take a very long time to get through <laughs> Chapter one. You do, <laughs> you do like a whole defense. That would be really oh, cool. God. Oh, God. Can geez. you imagine? That'd no, really I can't. Funny. I can't. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining yes. us. Thanks for thank having me. Thank you so much. And Every, we, to our listeners, yes. we hope you enjoyed your visit. And, and if, if you not, did it, well. Maybe next time. 